There's lots of things that we say from a pulpit that aren't for you. They're for the person sitting next to you. They're for the person you're related to. They're for the person that you're supposed to be walking with. Uh, so uh, I hear this a lot from young people, especially, you know, who come into a setting like this and feel like, well, this is a setting for adults. This is a setting for them. These messages are geared toward them. You know, Keith probably can't even remember being a teenager, much less actually help us, um, which is partly true. I don't have a good memory. But here's a, here's a great danger, uh, right? And this is, this is just informative, even if this is not Mother's Day. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, we're very tempted to stick God in, inside of our box, right? We create a box, we live in a box. Our world is only so big. And because of how sin works in our lives, we only care about a world that's so big. We don't care about the world outside of our world in a lot of ways. And so when we start listening for life inside of our box, then we've got to hear messages that come to us today for today's issues and today's problems and challenges in my life right now. But what if God's speaking to a community? Because most of what we read in the Bible is not a, not a personal message directed to individuals. They're messages preached to communities of people. So what if what God wants to teach us to do is to listen through a variety of ways to listen, right? What if, what if part of what you're going to hear today, what if you're a young person here and you're not a mother, but time's going to pass pretty quickly and you're going to be a mother, in three years, in five years, and that'll, that'll go by pretty quick. And what you hear today is intended by God to help you in another setting, just not today, right? Don't buy into this culture's ideas that the only thing that matters in your life is right now in the immediacy. That's such a lie, right? Life moves too quickly. Right, but even if, you're, even if you're not gonna be a mother uh, ever, God wants you to be able to hear things because you're walking with mothers. You're, you're going to have a friend who's a mother. You, you have a mother. You are related in some way. You've got a sister. Somebody that you're relating to is a mother. And how are you walking with that person? How do you encourage them? How do you support them in what God's called them to be and to do? If you don't really understand what their life is like, if you don't understand some of the challenges of being a mother, so please don't develop the habit of sitting in this room and, and looking at a topic or a passage and saying, let's see, is this about me today? Uh, in some way, it's always about you because there's people in your life that it's about. And if for nothing else, how can I walk with those who are walking through this today? So it's a message for mothers, but it's really a message for all of us. <clears throat> Look at this passage here. I started your outline with this probably, I, don't, I may be the first in the history of the world to have started a Mother's Day message from Daniel chapter 11. We'll eventually get into Exodus chapter two. But this is, this is a great passage. It shows up in motivational moments if you're looking for a motivational speaker. Daniel 11 verse 32 says, the people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Right, that's a great passage. It's, it's a great passage, it's a great principle, right? Because it links something together for our lives. It links the idea that what you know, and, and as we know as Christians, more importantly, who you know, is very much related to what you attempt to do in life. The life you try to live, the actions that you take, the moment that you bump into, that's too hard, or I don't know if I should even try that, 
What you know, who you know, is the most important thing in that moment. What am I going to do in this moment that's going to land in the category of exploits? And uh, what you know of God, and ladies, what you know of God is going to be pretty important in terms of what you attempt to do with your lives. Now, the word exploits there, I think it's, it's commonly used for, I don't know, soldiers who came back from war and there were exploits and this guy received medals and he put his life on the line and there was risk involved and he stepped out in this challenging moment. You know, today we don't, you know, we don't have soldiers that get featured as much as we do athletes. Uh, you know, athletes, if you can do a certain thing with a ball, you qualify for exploits. And so that gets featured in the news each evening, the highlights of exploits that took place. But, you know, in this passage, interestingly for Daniel, Daniel's going to speak about a day that's coming when an oppressive future king is going to create an environment that's going to seek to control and dominate God's people. And he's going to do it in such a way that it's going to deceive and seduce some people into following and participating in that. And Daniel says, but in that day, the people who do know their God they're going to be strong and do exploits in that day. Now, Daniel was a guy who lived that out, right? His life was a life of exploits. The three Hebrew children, aren't right? you follow the, the story and the timeline of living in Babylon where Daniel stands in the face of the king, gets thrown into the lion's den and exploits takes place because he believed something and was so convinced of something in God that even in that day, he was willing to put his life on the line and take great risk and perform great exploits, as the three Hebrew children did as well. As they refused to bow to this menacing, threatening king, they did these great exploits for the glory of God. But probably few of us would put Daniel and the lion's den in the same sentence with Jochebed in Egypt and say, exploits. These were exploits. And some of you right now are going, who's Jochebed? <laughs> right? See, already you're wondering... Who's this person? Well, Jochebed would be Moses' mother. And yet, what she did is right up there equally as amazing as what Daniel or anybody else did who performed great exploits. And the Bible teaches us that these exploits for the people of God come out of their knowledge of God. Now, we're not going to learn that much about Jochebed's knowledge of God. But she gives away that there's something in her that has a knowledge of a God who gives her the ability to, to have courageous moments, right? And mothers, um, you know, you didn't read the fine print when you went to be a mother, right? I put the fine print in your outline there. <laughs> Motherhood's not for the faint of heart. It's not soft and gentle. It's, it's pretty rugged. Motherhood takes courage. And mothers do exploits. And we're going to see that as we read Jacobed's story here in Exodus chapter 2. Let me just back up one verse, and I'm going to start in chapter 1 at the end there, because this is the setting of Jacobed's life. Verse 22 of Exodus 1. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live, right? Remember, this is the chapter in which we learn that 
The setting of Egypt became a shrewd setting where there was destruction in the hearts of the Egyptians toward the Israelites and humiliation and keeping them under subjugation. They became slaves and and here genocide is broken out and children are being killed in this setting. It's into that moment where the Bible says this in chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river which, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Don't read this story too fast. This is Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh has given an order for all the Hebrew boys to be drowned in the Nile. And you're going to learn a little bit about Pharaoh today to realize you don't mess with this guy. And this is his daughter. She shouldn't be entertaining a question about whether you should be calling somebody to go nurse this child. She should just be turning that cart upside down and letting that baby sink to the bottom. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Well, Lord, thank you again for words, as we have recalled, that have been given to us as examples and written down for our instruction. So, Lord, of all the people that we could learn from, you have chosen a woman named Jochebed to teach us some things about you, about walking with you, about our lives, Lord, that we need this morning. So, Lord, open our hearts and our ears to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this moment, Jochebed is making a decision to defy the orders of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has decreed in the land that any male child born is to be killed. And so this intimidating, controlling, most powerful individual in the world has decreed something that if you don't follow his instructions are going to put your own life in jeopardy, going to put those who you love in jeopardy. Right, so and the actions are obvious here. What may not be obvious to us is what is it like to live under the decree of Pharaoh? Because quite honestly, you and I have no idea what that is. Right? We're Americans. We, we, we don't know what it's like to live in this sort of a governmental setting with this kind of oppression. Charles Spurgeon, <clears throat> writing in the 19th century, had this to say to 19th century British folks, and, and we could extrapolate some thoughts as well. He says, the king's commandment 
made all Egypt tremble. The Israelites in Egypt had no doubt caught very much the spirit of the Egyptians. And the spirit of the Egyptians was the exact opposite of the spirit of a true-born Englishman as well as an American. You and I rejoice that we are free. We are in the habit of discussing laws and criticizing statutes. And if there were an unjust edict passed, we should not scruple for a single moment to break it. We should even feel a pleasure in putting our foot through an unrighteous act of parliament. For we have been trained for centuries in the habits and ways of liberty and think and speak of our, for ourselves. But it, is, it has never been so in Egypt. Especially was it not so in those days. Then they might well swear by the life of Pharaoh for they all lived by the permission of Pharaoh. They belonged to him, their lands and everything. Hence, it must have taken a good deal for these two son and daughter of Levi <clears throat> to feel that they could go against the king's commandment. And in this moment, a decision is being made that is a scary decision to make. You're going to defy the king. You're going to put your life on the line. This, this mother who all of us would say, well, isn't that the instinctive response of mothers? Well, this mother's got two other children. This mother has a husband. This mother is in the throes of weighing out. We could all die from this decision, not just this one baby. This is not as easy as it might look. <clears throat> and then what, what was the daily life like? Excuse me. <clears throat> what were the everyday fears? And Mr. Spurgeon really brings this to life in a helpful way. He says, the mother of Moses had to hide her child. I have no doubt if she were here and if her husband were here, they would have a long story to tell of the things that happened, how often their hearts were in their mouths, how frequently poor Amram was in cold sweat because one of his companions with whom he worked talked of going home with him, how that prying neighbor of theirs who always wanted to put her finger in everybody's dish tried to find out what there was that made Mrs. Jacobed keep at home so much. How they were afraid even of their own little children lest they might in their play talk of their little brother. What fears, fear was upon the whole family. Lest discovery should lead to destruction, we may guess from their hiding the babe. And so this is, this is an amazing and courageous act of faith on the part of this mother and father. And, and they don't have the benefit that you and I have. When we interact with their story, we get to cheat. We have, we have Bible headings in our Bible, don't we? You can just skim ahead and know how the story turns out. You know where you are. Matter of fact, you've already read this story or heard about this story growing up. So as you read through it, you don't tremble too much because you know how the story ends. And how many of us recognize that's not how Jochebed lived this moment? Right, Jochebed, right, remember that at some point her relatives came into Egypt and it was a good setting. They lived in Goshen. There was well provided for. And then that turned into enslavement and affliction. And by the time we get to this part of the story, Jochebed is in like, like year 350 of enslavement and affliction. And all her eyes have been trained to see her whole life is a life of slavery, a life of difficulty, Another day, just like all the other days that I have seen. 
And today, we are bringing a child into this world. Yeah, and, and it's tempting, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that sort of the way in which you and I live our lives? Our, our eyes get filled with the daily routines, the doldrums, the familiar places, the things in life that are broken. I'm always amazed that I catch myself as I pray nightly and get before God that my mind goes to brokenness faster than it goes to greatness of God. It just does. I get in my prayer closet and the first things out of my mouth are all the broken things that I looked at today. Meetings I had, situations I heard about, anything that comes about, that's broken, that's broken. I want to run before God with this. God, here's another. Can you, fix, can you fix this? Can you work on this? This was heartbreaking to hear about God. Broken, 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 broken. That's what our eyes quickly see. But when you make decisions like this, when Jochebed makes decisions like this, she gives away the fact that she sees something else. She doesn't just see the familiar, broken down routines. Ladies, mothers, you live in a very visual, loud environment. And and you're raising children in a broken world. You're raising broken children in a broken world. When you get to the end of your day, your mind is racing with how much stuff is broken, isn't it? How broken you feel to be able to adequately fix the things that are in your children's lives. At whatever ages that they are, you know, little children, we want to fix this. And as they get to be younger people and then they get to be young adults and then they have their own families. And there's still your tendency is to look and see what's broken and how it's affecting them and how can I rescue them and how can I fix that in their lives. And, and, and you just see brokenness. But to live courageously You've got to see something else. This is true for all of us, but I'm only speaking to mothers today. It it takes courage to do what Jacobet did. Risk-taking, great courage to be a mom in the moment that she needed to be a mom in the way in which she needed to be a mom. This is not everybody's story, obviously, but in her story and in your story, there are going to be moments in which you have got to see something besides what you see, if you know what I mean, right? So what, what is it that informed Jacobed's actions? Well, I see a couple of clues here that are helpful. We don't learn a lot. Of, we don't even learn Jacobed's name in this passage yet. We'll learn it later. But what do we see in this passage that gives us some clues about how did this woman make this decision? Well, if you back up a little bit into Exodus chapter 1, we get introduced to these midwives. And interestingly, remember we've talked about this great period of silence that has taken place. All these years, God has brought these people into Egypt and it's almost like, you know, where is God? We're not hearing from God. Well, the first time God gets mentioned here is in association with these midwives. And it says this about them in Exodus 1 verse 17. Right? The decree has gone out. Midwives, you're going to be part of this genocide where you're going to, you're going to help take the lives of these boys. Exodus 1.17 says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So Jacobed's not the first person to act with this kind of life-endangering courage. These women, these midwives are under a command by the Pharaoh. 
They're about to defy and break a law that would cost them their lives and their families perhaps as well. And yet they are willing to take these courageous steps. Why? Well, there's these two little words here that would be very helpful for us. They feared God. I don't know where you go with those words. I don't get this impression. I don't get it in Scripture. But, you know, that, those fearing God. I think they had a fear for God that was different than the fear they had for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a tyrannical, mean, hostile, destructive, self-interested individual. They had a certain kind of fear about that kind of power in their lives. You know, the fear of God... You know, that fear word, it sounds negative, doesn't it? It sounds like, well, you know, I don't know that that's the kind of understanding I want to have about God. I don't have a fear of God. Well, when you read the Bible, the fear of God is a broad word. It covers a lot of ground. So I, I can't, you know, it's a message in and of itself. But let me just say this. The, the, I think the fear of God, if I just put it quickly into how it got used by the midwives here. It, it is the life practice of holding God as supreme overall. That's what I believe the fear of God is here. It's the life practice of holding God as supreme over all. God is greater than everything. God is to be trusted above everything. I look to God in every moment. If, if the situation demands something from me, I know that God has got greater demands than that. If I'm called upon to be self-preserving and to keep my life a certain way and life threatens me, I, I look away from myself. I look away from what threatens me. I look to God to be supreme. That's what, that's what they were operating in. I, I don't think this verse communicates that, hey, they had to make a decision here. Get whacked by Pharaoh or get whacked by God. They chose to be whacked by Pharaoh. I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's something about understanding. I mean, when you say fearing God, that means all that God is. Right? Please don't slice God up. Our culture slices God up and, and, and serves up pieces of God to you. It does that constantly. And so we, you know, like we're, we're going through some buffet line. We choose the favorite tasting morsels that in the moment we like. You know, so we, we tend to like the love and mercy and forgiveness of God. So we, we tend to run towards extra helpings of that portion of God. Well, you know, God is God. So when you fear God, you fear the God who does have great power. Jesus told people to do that. Do you realize Jesus' explanation for the fear of God was to fear him who can judge you and eternally put your soul in hell? You realize that's Jesus? Nice, hippie Jesus said that? Yes, he did. Because he's trying to install a full view of God. But to live in this space is not only to recognize that, hey, no matter what Pharaoh can do to me, I need to be worried about what God can do to me. But I also need to be worried about what God can do for me. Might God be able to protect me if I trust him? Might God show up in my life and in the lives of others as I take this radical step of faith and do something marvelous and amazing? I fear God. You know, what's, what's interesting here, and this kind of cut me as I was praying through this. You know, you don't have to be a mom to get cut by this verse. Because, you know, I live in a box too. And my box may have a little different dimensions than your box and yours than mine. 
but, but I'm, I'm still looking for God in my box, and I'm still unfortunately imposing my life's experience on the God of glory who has lived forever and defining him out of what I understand and how, how good my life is in the terms that I understand them. But here are women, these midwives as well as Jochebed, who have been living in a space for 350 years where it's questionable, where's God, why doesn't he show up, why doesn't he do our lives the way in which we think he ought to be doing our lives, we want a refund. 350 years of this? Listen, this, this strikes me as how different we are as a people today as they were. They found God faithful and to be feared and honored as supreme. In this moment, I've got to make a decision. I've got to either take action to preserve my life or I've got to trust this God in an amazing way. Well, well, this God hadn't shown up. It's 350 years. Where the heck has he been? He's forgotten about us. I don't even know if I even believe in God anymore. Do you hear these words come out of your mouth? Do you hear how easily they come out of your mouth? This is 350 years later, and these women still fear God. I'm sorry. I I was not insulted. I was embarrassed by that when I read it, personally. Because I complain way too much, and I haven't done anything for 350 years. I haven't been a part of anything. My life is unbelievably blessed. I'm a a well-to-do American. (laughs) Life's been pretty sweet for most every one of us. But if God doesn't show up in a few minutes here, huh, he's in trouble with me. (laughs) He don't want to meet me out back. Really. And and look how God is honored here. Listen, life, life is not going to always go your way. And things that you have longed for and waited for may be delayed even longer or you may never have, period. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm thinking Joel Osteen is never going to invite me to speak in his church. (laughs) that That just doesn't feel good, does it? But what what if good exists in the realm that God creates and God does, God's got a better word than good, by the way. He's He's got a word called glorious. And so what if there are these glorious things that God does in moments that don't feel really, really good to us and yet he chooses to do these glorious things in our lives? And these women see God that way in such a way that they... Fear God. Things don't have to go my way in the next few minutes or in the next year. How many guys got big plans in the next five years that you're really hoping God's going to come through on? Right? So what are we going to do when you're in year 350 and it hasn't happened? (laughs) Keith, you're so negative. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, all right? I'm just, this is the reality. You can pull something else out of this passage if you'd like. But this is 350 years of affliction and women who still fear God. And if you're raised on, here, how about another spoonful of sugar? It's been two weeks, one more sugar. You know, if that's what you've been raised on, what are you doing? Life's not sweet, but it's glorious. 
takes courage to live that life, doesn't it? And that's life. All right, here's our second clue. You have these midwives. And let me just say this just as a highlight. These were midwives, and Jochebed is a mom about to give birth to a child. I, you know, the Bible doesn't help us understand. What was the source of this faith and this fear that she had of God that got down inside her? It kind of doesn't really tell us. You know, she had outstanding relatives and parents who just instilled and, and, and presented to her the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that she held on to what she learned and understood. I, you know, I don't know, but I, I see in these midwives... You know, these midwives would have, would have been, I think, would have been a good model, Titus to older women. These were women who were helping younger women to go through childbirth. Probably with them during the pregnancy time, especially spending time with them as they got closer to the end of their pregnancy time. And the influence of these midwives, the first people to appear who feared God in the book of Exodus and who received God's appraisal were these midwives. And they have influenced this young woman, Jochebed, to do one of the most amazing things for which you and I are still grateful today. Don't, don't underestimate. Young, older women and younger women, do not underestimate how God imparts faith in your lives. Make use of those who have a view of God, who have gone before you, who have lived in the trenches, who have shed their tears, who have figured out that life doesn't always go your way, and yet have emerged with a fear of God in their lives. And they have that to share with you. Listen, I know, and this is culturally not the way we do it today. Culturally, we just want to be with people who are traveling at the same speed on the same road in the same part of the highway that we are. Those people that are way ahead of us and who have too much gray in their head, they're so out of touch. They use the wrong phrases. They don't understand life today. Well, that was true for this time too. But they had something to say that might put in you the very fear of God that you're gonna need to be a courageous mother. And they had that available to them. Here's the other element I see in this story. And this is, this is the book of Hebrews picking up this story Hebrews 11, verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So here's an interesting thing. Here, here we have parents who are not afraid, parents who have courage in them to make a decision in this moment. Courageous decision-making is in Jochebed's heart on this day, but it says it got there, interestingly, by faith. So faith and courage get intermingled in this passage. I think the fear of God is very much a faith element. So in this passage, we learn something about Jochebed. She's a, a woman with a fear of God, and faith from this passage tells us that fear of God caused her fear. Now, listen, we just read from Mr. Spurgeon. It's not as though she just walked around saying, hey, we got this. No big deal. We're just going to keep the baby, and it's not going to be a problem. Listen, she watched her next-door neighbor's baby die. This, this is reality around her. So there was no sense of, when, when, you, when you read this, they were not afraid of the king's edict. That cannot be read like, it was no big deal. The king made this decision. No, that's not what was here. They just had a faith that made that not the determining factor in their decision. We fear God more than we fear the king's edict. And we trust in him. John Piper 
says, how does faith produce that kind of courage and love? The definition from Hebrews 11.1 gives the answer. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith frees us for this kind of radical courage and risk-taking love because it is the assurance that what God promises to those who die in the path of love is better than what the world promises those who shun risk and save themselves. More simply, faith in God's promises frees us from the fear of death and makes us brave in the risks of love. Boy, that's a Mother's Day word. And it may not look like your actions, mothers, are going to be like Jacobeds in the face of some king's edict to kill children. But you're going to be faced with the opportunity to provide risk-taking love in your children's lives. You are going to take risks that are going to result in you being hurt. This is not a, intended as a question for you to raise hands, but I mean, your parents have lived long enough to know that your children can hurt you. That wasn't in the fine print, was it? The fine print, they were cute and cuddly and smelled like babies. <laughs> uh, fangs and claws were not in the fine print. <laughs> you, you can get hurt in this. You can get hurt bad in this, mothers. And, and, and you're going to be called in that moment to risk-taking love in their lives. You're going to be called to love the ones who you're pretty sure that even though you're going to lay your life down one more time and love in this moment, they are going to hurt you again. That's the risk. And that was Jochebed and the midwives were willing to take that kind of risk, right? Better to die glorifying God than to have the life offered by this world. They would have rather died glorifying the God whom they trusted than to receive the benefits that were offered to them by the world. And mothers, you're going to face those moments as a mother where you're going to take risky, courageous love into being a mom. And, you know, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. Not every story ends like Jacobed's. Thank God for the Jacobed stories, but not every one of them ends that way. One more thought from Mr. Piper. He says, as we look at four more instances of what faith produces, keep in mind the definition from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love that conviction, not just the idea that maybe something's there. The conviction of being convinced of things that are not seen. So each of the four acts in this text is produced by faith. That is, by the assurance of something hoped for. Namely, God's promise to be all that the believer needs. That's the promise of God. So watch for that. Watch for the way hope in God produces a new kind of behavior. That's a great 
thought. Watch for that in your life, for the way hope in God produces a new kind of behavior. And finally, notice as we read that in these four moments of Moses' life, the stress is tremendous, right? This first moment, the stress on these parents is tremendous. Each of them is a life and death situation that would cause you to be knotted up inside and scarcely able to sleep at night, right? This reads easier than it lives. But there are gonna be moments in that stress where, where your answer to that threat, that menacing situation is the conviction about something that can't be seen. That's what these women had. That's what Jacobet had. F.B. Meyer has an interesting way of putting that. He says, faith, we cannot say it often, too often, is the direct vision of the soul. This is a helpful insight. It doesn't reason. It doesn't ask for evidences. It doesn't seek the corroboration of spies sent forward to explore the land. It is to the spiritual world what the five senses are to things around us. It is even more than this. It is our power of deriving the help of the unseen to carry out and complete the work of our life, right? You know, if you will, right, you have five senses with which you survey your environment and you take in what's going on and you assess the moment, right? What you can, smells like, smells like smoke, right? You, your mind begins to think, is that, is that outside? Is that in the house, right? You're, you're gathering data through your senses, and you see you are in touch with your environment through what you can touch and smell and see and hear. But God has made you to have a sense that is outside of those senses. It's this sense of faith. It's, it's this inner eye, this faith eye or this faith ear that hears things that with this ears you can't hear. Sees things that with this eye you cannot see. And in these moments, faith has got to inform what's really going on in this environment, Jacobet. What kind of decision do you make? Well, she saw something in faith in this moment, and that's what guided her. Question for us, are you depending on the help of the unseen to live your life? Are you depending on the help of the unseen to live your life? That, that's, just, that's a good question for all of us, right? This is not a mother's only question. There are unseen things. Are, are you depending upon them or do you just look with your senses, with your eyes and ears, survey the world that you're living in, make a decision, do I have the resources? Can I do that? Am I strong enough? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough time? Uh, nope, not gonna do it then. Or does faith see something and I begin to depend upon that to live in this world? Listen, mothers, your faith has got to see something because you are called on to make courageous decisions and those decisions need to be faith-informed, courageous decisions about how you live your life. So let me, let me pick this, these thoughts up from Exodus and set them down in your world a little bit here and talk about some of your courageous decisions. How about the courage to have children in uncertain times? These were uncertain times. 
they're killing babies. Amram, they're killing babies. Listen, you know, don't, don't think that birth control was impossible back then. We learn in Genesis, birth control is possible. People control birth. They weren't idiots. I mean, they didn't have the devices that we have, but they, they knew something about cycles, and they, they figured this stuff out. What are this, what's this couple doing having children right now? What are you doing? You're playing, I mean, can you imagine counseling this couple? You're playing Russian roulette. If it's a boy, he's as good as dead. No one ought to be having children right now. Maybe this will pass. Wait, don't do this. These, these were uncertain, dangerous times to be having children. But a decision is made even to have a child that was pretty courageous and informed by faith. And, and you know, we're not living in a day here. I mean, you know, China has had some laws that controlled birth in some ways that made having children difficult. We, we, we've never experienced that here. But then again, we've been raised in a value system that has convinced most every one of us here. Matter of fact, I, I meet very few Christians who, are, who escape this. Life for us as Americans is equated with economics. It's equated with opportunity. It's equated with what we can have of this world. And so if, if there's not good economic opportunities, if there's not good ability to provide material things and college educations and these kind of things, many parents today make a decision to step back from having children based on that. And I know right now I'm sounding like, well, Keith, you are from this planet, aren't you? Not concerned about any of those things? No, I'm very concerned about those things. But, but what happens... Because remember, that, that, by the way, doesn't play all over the world. It, it plays in American-type countries where there's an obnoxious ability to attain wealth. It doesn't play in most parts of the world. Well, what happened to the thought that we, we, we bring children into this world to give them life and to give them God? And everything else is dessert. It's lanyap. It's an extra. See, we're upside down, though, right? We, We've, we're trying to figure out how to give them everything else, and we don't know that we can give them everything else, so it's making a decision for us about whether or not we would even have children. It takes, it takes some courage to have children in uncertain times. It takes courage to trust God with your children in wise and in radical ways. Wise ways and radical ways go on, on, on display here, Right? These guys have the faith to have a child, and they did not fear the king's edict. So they had something that made them say, we're going to have a child, and we're good to have a child, and we've got faith to do this. But what's interesting, they had faith to do it, but they still hid the child. Which, by the way, isn't that what Hebrews describes this as? Not a negative thing, right? Well, if you really had faith, Moses, Amram and Jochebed, you'd put that baby in a stroller and just go around town. Look at my baby boy, Pharaoh. Drive right in front of his house. You got faith, right? 
Isn't that how faith's supposed to act? Just audacious and obnoxious like it's an American televangelist. Isn't that the way it's supposed to sound? I mean, what do these guys not know? Well, the Bible says by faith. By faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. They hid him by faith. What? You hid him, but you had faith? Well, yeah, because, you know, it's going to take like the 20th century to install the moron version of faith. Where you just test God. You got this much knowledge about everything in the universe and about that much about God, but you read a book on faith. And so it's okay to just claim something enormous. Spaceships, you know, are going to come. I just believe it. I just believe it. I just got a word from God. We're going to have a baby. Well, you know, they, they by faith, because the Bible tells us it was by faith, they hid the baby. So this informs a little bit about, you know, when you go to do your parenting and you face those moments where, where there's some human responsibility component in this thing and there's some divine activity mixed in this thing, you're trying to figure out how to, how to manage this, right? And, you know, there's, there's some medicine available and you're trying to figure out, oh, if I had faith, I wouldn't give my child this medicine, right? And we've heard tragic stories about this, haven't we? Hey, why don't you, why don't you err on the side of how well you really know things? I mean, these... I, you know, people who make some of these decisions and they have poor knowledge of the whole Bible and they got, they got one category where they've spent much time studying and they're about to put their child's life on the line to decide whether God would be pleased with a faith that doesn't give medicine or does give medicine. They hid the child. They, they gave Moses the medicine, if you will. And they trusted that God was in this and there was a, it was an element of wisdom in their faith. And so... Wisdom's a good word too, right? Faith's a good word. Wisdom's a good word. Let's, let's have both. Uh, now, what they did after that, I, I can't help you with. Uh, they stuck the baby in a little tiny wicker boat and pushed him out to sea. Uh, that's pretty radical, right? I don't care how you slice that one. That one means, okay, sometimes parents, we just do some stuff that's radical in terms of how we care for the needs of our children. This was radical. Three months are up. That was God's agenda for that moment. Now it's put this baby in a basket. I mean, listen, I'm pretty simple. I'm thinking the basket's going to flip over. I mean, I'm not a boat builder. Just made a basket. You know, baby moves, bloop, baby goes under. That, this is not a happy moment for me as a parent, right? You know, there, there are crocodiles in the Nile. I just don't know if you knew that. It's not in the story here, but, you know, paddle faster, Moses. I mean... <laughs> This is not a comfortable moment for, for moms and dads, right? But it was a radical element of faith for them. And, and listen, uh, sometimes what you do as a mom is, is a radical moment of trusting God in ways that maybe don't even make sense in that moment. How about the courage, moms, to stay involved even with great limitations, do you follow this storyline? She manages to see the child get past birth and not die. And she's going to get to nurse the baby. And it looks as though she's going to get quite a bit of time with the baby until the baby's weaned. So about three years probably of being with this child. And you moms enjoying the moment when she takes that three-year-old of hers and just gives her him away to Pharaoh's daughter and says, see ya. You all right with that? 
That's in Jacobed's story. What kind of faith and courage did that take? Well, you know, in our day, it, it, it's, it's the same kind of faith and courage that you single mothers have. When you feel as though what you have for your kids lacks, it's not enough. You work two jobs and you're not there for them enough and you don't have the right thing to say for them in every moment because it's not two voices speaking to them, it's just yours. And you're most in touch with the little piece of life that your kids get is sprinkled with impatience and frustration and difficulty and, and, and you walk with courageous faith to be the mom in that environment. Limited, but by faith you do it. The mothers who are here who have given your children up for adoption, you went through the emotional challenges of giving birth to a child, of carrying that child, of experiencing that life inside your womb, giving birth to that child. It's, I mean, just amazing. I mean, you, you know, any of you who have been in the delivery room when your children have been born, it's, it is an overload of emotions. And you went through that. You lived a piece of life with that child, and then you gave that child to someone else. Courageous faith, because you had other options you could have chosen. And you chose to go through the birth and in some ways have your heart pulled out of you as you gave that child to someone else, knowing in your mind that baby of mine is doing life somewhere. I'm not a part of it. Listen, that's, that's in the Jacobet story here, right? Mothers who had courageous faith. How about this courage? The courage to embrace motherhood that has the potential for future triumph as well as future tragedy. Right now, I wouldn't, I'd be doing justice to the Jacobed story if I just stayed in the Jacobed story. But if you're like me, I'm an analyzer. And so whatever you tell me, I try to find the other information that goes with it, which can be a little frustrating to have a conversation with me, I realize. My wife is laughing on the front row. So I'm thinking, hey, the Jacobed story, what a great mom story. But immediately my mind goes, well, let's visit some of the other moms in Scripture and see how their story went. Jacobed's story is a, is a pretty triumphant story. One of the most significant human beings on the planet comes out of Jacobed's decisions to trust God and follow God in him. Moses, who will redefine not only the Israelites' lives, but those of us who followed in the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even Western civilization is influenced by this man named Moses. So what a triumphant story here. But obviously it was a story that had a lot of tragic possibilities at any moment. You give birth to the child, Pharaoh finds out. Baby cried too loud. People heard. Baby's dead. Baby gets put in the Nile. Doesn't survive. Doesn't get picked up. Pharaoh's daughter of all people discovers the baby. Tumps the baby over immediately in obedience to her father. This could have been a pretty tragic story, right? And, and listen, would, would God have been on trial some way for us in that moment if this had turned difficult instead of turning great? 
let's all be like Jacobeds. Um, okay, mothers. Eve was a mom too. Remember Eve's motherhood story? At some point, she can pull out family photographs. Cain and Abel were little boys. Eve's the mother of a murderer. Not just any kind of a murderer. Cain kills her other son. That's in the Bible, too. That's a little more difficult of a story. Leah. Leah was Jacob's first wife. He had a few. She was the triumphant mother of four of the tribes of Israel. That's a pretty famous moment. Four of the 12 tribes of Israel, you are the mother of the heads of these tribes. She was also the tragic mother of boys who sold their half-brother to Ishmaelite people who sold him into slavery in Egypt and then lied and covered it up. You moms have kids who lie and cover up things. I mean, I know you're thinking about asking for a refund and thinking, how did this, how did I get such liars? Leah asked the same question. Leah had a son who grew up to sleep with his father's concubine and bring humiliation and shame to the family. David had several wives, and most of what they would have had to share would have not ended in triumph as mothers. There was a lot of tragedy in their lives. Ahinoam, she was the tragic mother of Amnon, David's oldest son. Amnon would be overtaken by his lust and rape his half-sister Tamar. I don't think too many mothers would be excited about having a son who's a rapist. And then Amnon would be murdered by his half-brother, Absalom. Nobody wants to experience the loss of their own child. Haggith was the mother of Adonijah, who would try to lead a revolt to overthrow his own father, and after another failed grab for the throne, would be murdered by his half-brother. Makah was the tragic mother of Absalom who killed his half-brother and raised an army to overthrow and kill his own father. You read these stories, you forget these knuckleheads had a mother who sat with front row seats and watched this stuff unfold in their lives. Boy, and if you'd have thought anybody who would have escaped this, it would have been the wives of a man named David. Leader extraordinaire, conqueror of kingdoms, follower of God, a man after God's own heart. If anybody could be a a wife and mother in a good setting, wouldn't you think that would be it? Those are his wives. And these are his children. So mothers, sometimes these stories in our children's lives. Listen, you know, this is the temptation, and, and you won't get this from some of the televangelists. The Jacobed story just said, I can pump you up with the Jacobed story today. But Jacobed's not the only mother. And it takes courage, faith-informed courage, to be one of the other mothers too. Not just the Jacobed mother whose son went on to be something incredible. But that's a helpful insight as well, though. You, you, don't, you don't know who you're raising. It takes courageous faith to be in your children's lives, not knowing who will my children become. I kind of doubt Jochebed knew all that Moses would be. 
I tend to doubt it. Maybe she did. God could have revealed that to her somehow. But you have mothers in the scripture who were bringing children into this world without knowing all that God had for them. Right? Whether, whether you're Hannah, whose heart was to devote Samuel to the purpose of God, and, and Samuel becomes a mighty restorer of the, of the kingdom in Israel that had fallen into waste. Jeremiah's mother, Isaiah's mother. These mothers didn't know what their children would become. Right? What, what an, an admonition to all the mothers here. You, you don't know what you're investing in as you lay your life down courageously and invest in your children for the future of their lives. Who knows what they will become? I love this insight from Charles Spurgeon. He says, the whole history of Israel rested upon hiding that little child, like little actions that were taken by these parents turned into enormous things. Wrapped up in that child was the history of the world. For in the Jewish people, all nations were blessed. There he is. And he could not have been there if by faith his mother had not hid him three months. You do not know all you are doing when you do little things in faith. Brothers and sisters, do not despise domestic duties, but bring up all your children, your little children, in God's fear, correcting their little habits, bearing with their little ways, teaching them their little hymns, all lead up to great results. Do not, I beseech you, despise and sin against the child. You know not what is in him or her or what in God's great book of history those tiny hands are yet to write. You may not see any of that in your child. Most mothers who later on in life get to talk about their children who became these amazing individuals tell these stories of quite a contrast when they were younger. It's like, well, he was this, he was that, he was this. And then later on, amazing how God used and that might be where you are. Courageous faith to believe that what's not visible in that life is going to be amazing later on. But you're going to have to see that in an unseen part of your life. All right, let, me, let me move towards some ministry time for you moms. So if you can listen to this list a little bit. In just a moment when Eric comes back, we're going to take a moment to pray for you. Here's, here's the fact, ladies. Mothers have to face moments. Nobody gets excluded from these moments. Mothers face moments of courage and devotion that mothers must have to care for special needs children. I've seen some amazing parents who they thought life would be like this. They would do this. They would go here. We'd have kids. We'd add our kids to our dream world and our dream life. And they were blessed with children who had special needs. And those special needs occupied these parents day and night, laying down their lives, absorbed with their energy and their attention. And, all, and so much, not all, but so much of their dream life of what they thought they would be like with the ideal children and life wasn't their story. But amazing to see moms and dads live with such courageous faith to dedicate themselves to these needs in their lives. That's, that's God's call for mothers. The courage of raising children 
who may not choose a wise path and may not even follow God. In the fallen world in which we live, in the examples provided for us by the perfect God of the universe, even that which he has created has fallen away from him. This is not the most pleasant thought for any parents, but when we create children, the thought that they would fall away from us, that happens. If, if it could happen to the perfect God who created people, it can happen to you. Right? And there's lots for us to lay hold of by faith with our children, but it takes courage and faith to be a mother in light of the possibility that you could have a child who turns his or her back on you and on God. And you will still be called to be a mother in that day. And it may be one of the hardest things you've ever done to figure out how to love, connect with, and care for children in that moment. The courage of single mothers who trust God for resources and energy and insight and patience. The courage to live <clears throat> aggressively and sacrificially while not being thanked or appreciated at the level that you deserve. Ladies, takes some courage to do that. And you know, I can't find too much fault with kids because I was a kid once and I was a bit of a slow learner and it took me a long time. One of the greatest regrets I can say of my life was how long it took me to realize what my parents were like. It took me way too long. I was stupid for way too long to not appreciate or understand their devotion, their sacrifice, their investment, their care. You know, you gotta get pretty far into your own version of parenthood before that kicks in sometimes. But many of you will be raising kids who if you're looking for them to provide that back to you, you may be looking and waiting for a while, but, but can God give you courage and faith to be who he's called you to be even if you don't get that back for quite some time? from kids. This last one's a little bit of a challenging element. Just in the story, I couldn't ignore it. The courage to trust that God is near when your children are near danger. Right? I'm a rescuer from danger. You know, you, know you, you don't go by the street. You don't even get close to the street. You don't even think about streets. Okay, kid? Um, I, just, I just want my kids to be as safe as humanly possible. So the thought of my children ever being near danger, I mean, just my wires get crossed and my, it's, it's just challenging for me. But you read this story. This story is a weird story in this category, right? Peter ends, the commentator, says this, God is in full control, both of Moses' birth and of the external circumstances that threaten to undo it. God does not remove Moses from the situation nor does he strike down Pharaoh who dares to oppose him, both of which he certainly could have done. And that's probably how I would have been praying. 
This is my child, God. You've got to remove this threat from his life. And here's that thing that's coming against my child. God, you've got to destroy it, whether it's a disease or a person or a, a circumstance. God, that's just got to come to an end. So God, I'm looking for a date and a timeline when that thing is out of the scene now. That's how I'd have been praying. That's, that's what kind of stuff is in me. He says, instead, God places Moses in the same Nile that Pharaoh intends for the boy's harm. He brings the boy right to Pharaoh's doorstep and has him raised in Pharaoh's house. You realize how dangerous of a location those two things were? The two things we know going into this story of, of Jochebed giving birth to this little baby is that babies are supposed to be thrown in the Nile and die the Nile's an instrument of death. And whatever you do, you don't want Pharaoh to discover this child. <laughs> really? This is almost comical. A.W. Pink says, Pharaoh proposed to deal wisely with the Israelites. And this in order that they might not get them up out of the land, right? Chapter one, this is why they dealt shrewdly. They didn't want them to increase and be able to get free and go on and join with other nations. And yet, in the end, God compels him to give board, lodging, and education to the very man which accomplished the very thing that Pharaoh was trying to prevent. Don't you love that? <clears throat> but if you're, if you're a parent, if you're a mother, the Nile is where children are killed, and Pharaoh's the guy who's going to kill them. And my son is going into the Nile. And then he's gonna take up housing in Pharaoh's household. Do you think she battled with the thought that at some point he's gonna get discovered? They're gonna discover he's a Hebrew boy. He's not the son of that woman. How is this gonna work out? This son is in a dangerous place and he is right in the middle of the will of God. That's hard for me as a parent because every I'm programmed to avoid danger. Everything in me wants to avoid danger for my children. I, I don't mind me being in danger. I just don't want them to be in danger. And yet here is God's plan. I can't, I can't overlook this. Parents sometimes have to live with the plan of God being fulfilled where your children look like they're living in a setting of danger, and yet God is not done with them. And the danger will not have the last word. The Nile will not kill them, and Pharaoh will not destroy this life. God is at work. All right, ladies, this, this is the courageous faith that you are called to, right? This is why I think it's absolutely appropriate to use Daniel's verse in your lives. The mothers who do know their God will be strong and do exploits. But where does that kind of faith come from? This, this is not a message where I'm trying to convince you, okay, ladies, let's suck it up. One more lap, one more year, one more lap. Suck it up, let's go for it. Come on, you can do it. Look at what Jacobet did. 
I'd rather you see why Jochebed did it. People who fear God do exploits. Those who know their God do exploits. Where, where does this kind of courageous action comes from? It, it comes from knowing God. It comes from seeing God. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Ladies, you are called to a courageous race. And your hope to have the faith to live with courage in that setting is found by you looking to Jesus. This Redeemer who came into this world to rescue you out of darkness and give you a revelation of him. A revelation bigger than this world, a revelation of restoration to God and his purposes, a revelation of God's forgiveness that wipes away your sins and no longer makes your sins the basis for your life. Wow, that's radical. So you could be a mom here this morning, and I think this is so easy for moms, to put yourself under the weight of condemnation of failure. I could have done, I could have done better. I should never have done that to my child. The season of life, the abortion, the decisions I've made in the past. Listen, something louder than all of that has happened. It happened at the cross when Jesus Christ came with those very things in mind and the Father put those things on him so that he could remove them from your lives so that there would be no longer a barrier, nothing standing between you and God, so that this morning you couldn't be here as a mother forgiven by God and yet still be held by your past, unable to go forward. Every mother here who has put their hope in Christ, you, you get to go free now. You get to be a mother who's free from those things. What great news is in your life today. So can we do this for our mothers here today? As we read through these stories, Jacobeds and others, it, it's easy for us to be informed today. I don't care if you're seven years old here sitting in the audience. It, it, can you get your mind around this? It takes guts for your mother to be your mother in a bunch of ways that maybe you weren't paying attention to until this morning. The person that you walk with, maybe you're not a mom, maybe you're a husband, it takes guts and courage for your wife to be a mother. It's risky. Tragedy is always within arm's reach. So this morning, can we do this for our moms? We're, we're going to we're going to pray for them. And, and listen, we're going to pray for them not as some period at the end of the sentence, you know, sort of just some little gesture. This is a gesture. No, no, no. Prayer is not a gesture. Prayer is the in, engagement of the power and presence of God. Prayer is, is about to get all over these mothers, something that they need. Prayer is an impartation. It's not a gesture. So we don't close the service with a gesture. We're, we're going to actually pray for mothers, believing that heaven is going to peel back a doorway and pour something on these mothers so that they can live courageously in faith, looking to Jesus.
So can we have all our mothers to stand up who are here with us this morning? All of our mothers. Wish I had one of those exploit videos. I watched an exploit video of Heisman Trophy winners who have made a difference in the NFL the other day. It was amazing. No. It was people playing a game. Maybe I could have a video of soldiers running into battle, laying their lives down, diving onto a grenade. That's an exploit. What you ladies do with your lives is an exploit. Because it's risky, and sometimes it's hurtful, and sometimes it's disappointing, and sometimes you stand at the edge of wide open terrain and you wonder what is about to happen. Sometimes you feel like you lack the resources or the insights or the care or the energy Sometimes you are in situations where you are feeling powerless because it's, it's not even all about what you do. It's about how that person responds. It's about whether your child wants to receive something from you. And so you feel powerless and you can't fix that. And when you stand in that moment in the fearful presence of your Pharaoh has decreed something hostile towards your life and you fear God and you courageously stand and you say it doesn't matter in this moment that my eye sees this and my ear hears that and I can remember this because my faith sees something else and I choose to live because of that faith in my life ladies you do exploits in the lives of your children, in the future of lives. So it is, it is our delight to pray for you and to be mindful of that for you. Whether we're mothers or not here today, these are heroic people standing near you. So can we do this? Can we gather around them, family members gather around them? If maybe there's some moms here who don't have family with them today, and, we can make sure that someone here is gathered around each mom. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you don't have a mom that's here with you, and you see a mom standing by herself, can you go and just stand with her? All right. Let's our hearts before God. We are before the throne of God's grace. We are, we are in a place to access mercy and grace to help in time of need. Lord, that's, that's what prayer is. Lord, we come to get something from you because we need you, Lord, because our lives cry out, we are in need. Lord, this morning we are here featuring the need that is in each of these mothers' lives. Lord, the need for courage. The need to take steps of faith 
that are bold, that sometimes are dangerous and sometimes that are filled with wisdom that they would not have had apart from you. Lord, the need to face uncertainty with a sense of certainty in their own hearts. For they have seen something else besides the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of their children, their own brokenness, God. They have seen the Redeemer, the one who steps in, the one who is full of wisdom and mercy and power, the one who from the Garden of Eden on has been rewriting the story of this fallen world giving it a pathway that ends in your promises, that ends in your good, that ends in you accomplishing glorious things. God, that's what we pray for for these moms this morning. God, would you give them eyes that see you? Lord, that's no greater gift that we can give. Lord, I'm not sure what they're going to get today when they gather with their families, but Lord, the greatest gift that we can give them, you must give them. Lord, it is a revelation of yourself. Lord, it is eyes that regularly, frequently, constantly turn to you, Lord, and see you with all their hearts and have reason to believe that in the moments of their own Pharaoh and their own Egypt, that they can fear you and follow you and trust you and hope in you and you will be all that they will ever need. So God, this morning, let your spirit impart. Spirit of God, impart this morning. Speak into hearts of these wives and these mothers who have perhaps been busy, distracted, absorbed. Lord, what they need is you. They need your nearness, God. They need the power of your spirit. They need your strength and encouragement. God, engage these ladies this morning and impart to them the power that they need. Lord, you, you promised us something. You said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Lord, you promised us that because we needed it. We needed more power than what we had. So God, this morning, we ask for that power to reside on these ladies, that in their lives, they would have supernatural ability, spirit-given insight, power from you to be courageous mothers full of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mothers, we love you, and we pray you have a wonderfully happy Mother's Day. Please make sure you take your gift on the way out today.